Anyway, I want to talk this morning in Genesis chapter 38. It's probably a chapter that when you started reading the Bible, if you started at Genesis, you got to it and you said, what is this? How did this get here? And uh, I don't know. I don't recall ever hearing a sermon on it. But I figured uh, it's a good place to go today. And so we're going to give it a whack. And I, I even have a, I normally read out a King James. This is a ES English Standard Version. It'll make it easier to kind of get it. And I'll begin at verse 6. So Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her, her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go in to your brother's wife and perform the duty of the brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring to your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground and is not, to give, is not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house. Till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. And in the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shulah's daughter, died. Or Shua's daughter died. When Judah was comforted, he went to Timnah to his sheep shearers and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And when Timnah, Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timah to shear the sheep. She took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat in the entrance to Enon, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shula was grown up and that she had not been given him in marriage. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned in to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in unto you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you will come unto me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And he said, if you, if you give me a pledge until you send it, he said, what pledge will I give you? She replied, give me your signet and your cord and the staff that's in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she rose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood again. When Judah sent the young goat by a friend of the Abdulamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he didn't find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute that was at Enon by the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute's been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. And the men of the place said, No cult prostitute has been there. Then Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we will be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. And she was being brought out she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I'm pregnant. And she said, please identify who these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. 
And Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shula, and he did not know her again. From that time her labor came, and there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out his hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach have you made for yourself? Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Now, just when you thought you had crazy going on, <laughs> you read that story, <clears throat> and it's like, whoa. But you know something? There are several things in this chapter that I really want to talk about. Um, do I have an echo? Is it just me, or are we echoing it? A little echo. Okay. Um, there are several things I want to talk about in Genesis 38. Um, it's, and first off, I want to set, set a, an understanding. It's something called leverant marriage. Uh, leverant marriage is what was going on here. Leverant marriage is when the husband dies without passing on offspring that the wife would go to the next brother, to the next brother, to the next brother. And we see that all through Scripture. And we don't understand it. And there are a lot of things in the Bible that we'll never understand if we look at through 21st century eyes. You have to, to understand this, we have to go back 4,000 years. You have to go back to a, a culture, to a society, where everything you had was in your children. And if you were a woman... And you were a widow. Maybe when you were young and you had your beauty, you would be cared for. But there's a great likelihood that as you got older and you lost that beauty, it faded, that you would be just cast aside. And unless you had children, you would have nothing. It wasn't like today where you could get a job, where you could find work and, and work in a, 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 you know, a, a restaurant or a department store or, or in any, 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 any line of work. Your work was caring for animals. Your work was dependent on your ability to hoe a field and to produce and to protect what you produced. And I know we have movies that today they make, you know, the superhero, uh, who was it, Xena, and the Wonder Woman, and you know, and then you know, a whole band of ruthless marauders comes riding into town, and they pick up a stick and they beat them all up. But that's like fantasy land. The reality of it is that leverant marriage was an ancient custom that protected the rights and the dignity of women. It protected them by giving them the one thing that was most needed for them, which was offspring. Because if some guy decided, 
You are not the flower of my eye anymore and put you away. Your children wouldn't do that, hopefully. You would have children. You would have a place. You would have a home. You would have uh, meaning. And so levirate marriage was always a good thing. And this given here in Genesis, early in Genesis, is 450 years before it was codified in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 25. 400 years. This is not a law thing. This is the way it was. This is a code that was recognized by the folks in the area, by the Babylonians, by the Sumerians. They all had this. And it was something that God, we see in this with Judah's first son, uh, that God, uh, he honored because it was a custom of the land. Not that he imposed it or suggested it, but because it was a custom of the land that was given for the protection of women. And so when Judah's son, his first son, he had three, right? He had um, Er, Onan, and then Shelah, who was born a little later. So Onan marries this woman. He gets the woman for Onan, or Enan, marries her. And whatever he did that was so evil, whatever practices he was so wrapped up in, that caused him to be so in disfavor with God and to not have children. It says God, God just took him away. God killed him. We don't really know. There's a whole lot of stuff written in commentary, speculation of what it might have been. So then the second son, Onan, he took her. And every time he made love to her, he would not I should just probably read it the way they said it. Um, But I already read it. So he wouldn't finish the job. And so she wouldn't be able to conceive because there was reason for leverant marriage. And one of them I gave you was to provide you security in the future, economic security and protection. But another one was that it would give you inheritance rights. It would give you a heritage and an inheritance. It would, it would keep the name of the deceased first husband alive, the bloodline, the heritage, and give you inheritance rights. So Onan, the second brother, was no doubt thinking, excuse me, was no doubt thinking that if I fulfill my leverant duty to this woman, Part of the inheritance that I'm going to receive is going to go to her because I am going to keep the first son, my brother's uh, legacy, alive. The child will be his child, and it will keep that alive, and I'll have to split an inheritance. And so he didn't want to do that, and that's probably why he did what he did, so that he wouldn't have to split his inheritance. He wouldn't have to split that heritage but God looked at it, and God killed him also. Now, there's a message in that, but that's a message for another day. And so finally, Judah looks at this, and he says, Ay, this guy, this woman is like the widow, black widow woman. If I give her my third son, I will be without children. I won't have any left. She's killing everyone that I give to her. It wasn't her, but it was God, but he, that's how he... Think of it. How would you look at it? I can't let my third son, 
my last son, my only son left. I can't let him marry her. I'm going to say, you go back to your father's house and you wait. And when my third son is old enough, I'll give you Shula. But he had no intention of giving Shula to this woman, Tamar. After the course of time, she realizes what's going on. And his wife dies, Judah's wife dies. After a while, he's good. He's going to hang out with the guys. To hang out with the guys for him was to go with this Dulamite and go up to the sheep shearers. He was going up to the fields where the sheep were to oversee the shearing of the sheep. Kind of like going away to a, a camp with a bunch of guys and have a wonderful time. And he goes up there and Tamar realizes this is my chance. Tamar gets a plan and she says, leverant marriage can work both ways. It can work with the brothers in succession, but it can also work with an extended family. So she meets him. She finds where he's going to be. She dresses up like a prostitute. She meets him in the way. She kind of knows her father-in-law, knows what the family's about. He meets her and makes her a proposition. And he says, okay, and what will you give me? I'll give you a, a kid. Okay, but what will you give me now? What will be your pledge to me? What will be your pledge? What will be the sign that I can, how can I trust you? Well, what do you want? They would wear on a cord around their neck. Later cultures, they would wear a ring, a signet ring. And that ring would have a stamp in it. And you could seal stuff with it. Kind of like that seal up there. Ancient times, they would wear a wooden or a a metal, just a seal, just a stamp. And they would wear it on a significant cord around their neck. And it would just dangle there. And you would make your mark on things in in commerce, in business. It It represented you. This seal was who you were. It was your signature. It was your mark. It was your pin code. It was your, your special thing that identified you. And, she's, and also the staff was significant. Usually it would have things carved in it. It was your staff. You used it every day. You walked with it. It was a special one. It's not like me. When I go in the woods, I bring a little folding saw. I cut a new staff every day. I take it for a walk, and I just leave it to places all over. I got them all over the place. It was my special one. It was the beaver-chewed stick that I have at home outside my tree. Special, significant, marked to me. And she said, I'll take that signet from around your neck. I'll take that, and I'll take your staff, and that's good enough, and then you can pay me later, and I'll give it back to you. And so he gave it to her, and he left. Later, he went to pay her, but the guy he sent couldn't find her. She wasn't there. But you know something? God gave her a child. God gave her two. And he, three months later, she started to show. There's only so long you can hide Things like that in there. I know some have hit it for a longer time than that, but that's because, uh, well, I guess we won't go there. Why? Okay, then we'll go there. Because this woman was ready to be burned. 
Sometimes church folks, we have the same attitude. We're ready to burn folks over something that they did that wasn't right, doesn't need condoning, but doesn't need people to be burned over it. And so she hid it best she could for as long as she could, just like a lot of folks do today. But when he found out, the same guy who did everything wrong there was to do, he's like, oh, burner. He probably had the idea that I'm out now. I don't have to give my, my youngest son to her, the widow maker over here. I, I don't have to give my youngest son to her. So let's get rid of her. Burn her. Judgment is harsh, harshest when it comes from people. Who don't know mercy, but should. People that have their own skeletons seem to throw bones around a lot faster than others. But that's another sermon, too. There's a lot of sermons in this chapter 38. There really is. And so she's starting to show, all right, bring her forward. We're going to burn her. We're going to get rid of her. And she says, go show my father-in-law the signet and the staff and tell him that the one that these belong to is the one that got me pregnant. And Judah sees them and imagine how he felt going from burn her to oh my, oh my, I'm guilty too. And he saw them And the signet that she had, the pledge, the pledge that she had that would guarantee her payment was a guarantee, not of her payment, was a guarantee that would save her life. It was a guarantee of of her future. It was a guarantee that would guarantee her blessing. It was a guarantee that would guarantee her immediate blessing. Her immediate blessing that she would not be killed. Her immediate blessing that she would have a child that she could protect her and provide for her as she got older. It guaranteed also her longer term blessing. It guaranteed a heritage. It guaranteed a name. It guaranteed an inheritance. It guaranteed that everything that would have went to Ur in the first place, everything that would have went to Onan in the second place, everything that was supposed to go to Shula and think Shula's going to get it all now because the other two are dead and it's not going to go to me, is going to come to me. Because I have this seal and I have this staff and it represents something. You know... Another thing it does, it shows a shifting. It shows a difference. And why this story, this story is very significant. I'm going somewhere with this. But it also shows something else. It shows a shift. Judah's thinking was, I can't give her my youngest son Shula because if I give her my youngest son Shula, she's going to kill him. Something's going to happen. He's going to be dead and I'm going to lose out and I'm going to have no heritage. I am going to have nobody to carry my line. I am going to be with the promise that I received from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And now the promise goes to me and I'm going to be without it. I have things to look out for. I have a heritage. I have the promised bloodline. 
line, the king, that the scepter shall not depart out of Judah. I've got all this to look out for. I am not giving her Shula, my youngest son. There's no way. His faith limited right there. What he had limited his faith. I'm not going there. But God sometimes has another way of looking at it. When you turn to Matthew chapter 1, it says these are the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah and his brethren. And Judah begat. Does it say Judah begat Ur? No. Does it say Judah begat Onan? No. Does it say Judah begat Shema? No. It says in Judah begat Tamar and Zerah. Judah begat uh, Perez and Zerah of Tamar. And Perez begat Hezron. And you follow it all the way down. And one begat Joseph who was married to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Judah had a way of thinking, I'm not giving Shema because I am not interrupting my heritage, my inheritance, my specialness, my special place that's going to get in the way. I'm not giving him to her. She's, besides that, she's a Gentile. Besides that, she's, she's, just, she's just like, just kills husbands. She just goes through them. I'm not giving him to her. Not her, not her. She's the black widow, not her. I'm not endangering, I'm not jeopardizing my heritage, my everything, to put it in her hands. His lack of faith stopped him, but Tamar had faith, and Tamar would not be denied, and Tamar went and did crazy But you know something? She did crazy because she had a future vision and she knew, I not only want something short term, I don't not only want something now. I want heritage. I want inheritance. I want something down the line. And what she did, her faith, her stepping out, her moving. And Isaac and and Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah and his sons, and Judah begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar, and Perez begat Hazel, and begat, 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 all the way to Joseph, all the way to David, all the way to Joseph, all the way to Jesus. This woman, one of only four mentioned in the genealogy of Christ, all of them Gentiles. Two of them. The next one is, is uh, the lady up in the window with the cord across it. Rachel. Rahab. Thank you. I had a lot of names to try to cram in today. <laughs> Rahab, the harlot, the mother of Obed, the mother of Boaz, the mother or the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
by Ruth, another one, a Moabitess. And then the next one is not even mentioned by name, and that's Bathsheba, just as the wife of Uriah. She didn't even get mentioned in there by name. How special in a genealogy, in a male-dominated culture, to have four women mentioned by name in the, in, the, in the genealogy of Christ, and Tamar is one of them, because Tamar had faith that she would not be denied, and she did what she had to do because she needed a heritage, and she appreciated it more than Judah himself, who thought to hold back and had no faith in the ability of God to pr- 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 follow through on the promise that he made, But she went ahead and through her son, and she didn't just get one son, she got two. She didn't just have one offspring to protect her, she had two. Now, here's where I want to go with this. In Ephesians chapter 1, and we've been looking at this, and and Dr. Tony has been doing these wonderful Bible studies and prayer meetings here on Wednesday nights. And we, we, we touched on a lot of this stuff. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1. It got me looking at this, and I want to read it. I'll read from verse 11 down through uh, 15, 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The first thing we do, he says, is we believe and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, but then he seals us. Who he saves, he seals us. He seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise. That seal, I've heard people talk about it like it's like like Johnny Carson used to have the, the lettuce, the conac sealed, hermetically sealed in the, the jar outside on Funkin' Wagnall's porch. And we think it's sealed away from everything. It's not sealed away from everything. The kind of seal it is, is a seal that is a mark. It's a brand. It's, a, it's an impression put upon us. It's a seal that depicts ownership. Just like Jacob's seal that he wore on his, uh, uh, Judah's seal that he wore on his neck was a seal of telling who he was, and it was a pledge to Tamar. The seal of the Holy Spirit is a seal embossed, stamped into each of us that tells of ownership. Think of it in cattle, the, the little cows that are branded, right? A and they come up and they've got a brand on them that, that tells the world, tells everybody, whatever pen they stray into or field they stray into, whose they are. The seal of God tells the world whose we are and who we are. We are marked with ownership that he owns us. We've given ourselves to him and and we are owned by him. He is our seal. He's also not just an identifying seal, but it's the pledge. The seal is the pledge. It is the guarantee. He says in verse uh, 14, who is the guarantee, we're sealed with the spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of the inheritance until we acquire the possession of it. He is the the guaranteeing seal. There's something that just doesn't mark us for who we are, but it guarantees our inheritance. Tamar was worried about inheritance. That seal secured her inheritance. Our inheritance is secure because of 
who he is and what he's done. The seal is a pledge. It's an earnest, the King James says. It is a down payment. It is something given. Just like Judah gave her that seal and that staff to say, this is, you take this for now. This is a pledge of what I'm going to give you. It is a pledge that I am good for the little goat that I'm going to give you later. The seal of the Holy Spirit identifies us. It marks us as his, but it's also a pledge. It is a deposit. It is upfront. It is the earnest of that he's coming back for us and our inheritance is secure. It is a down payment that is so significant that you can live on this down payment. When we look at resurrection, when we look at the things that are waiting for us, sometimes we'll get a mindset that this stuff's all far off. But I'm going to, I'm going to what? What am I going to eat now? What am I going to do now? The, the, The pledge, the deposit, the down payment, the earnest is so significant that the benefits of it apply to us now. The pledge to Tamar, the levirate marriage, had two aspects. One aspect was children now to be cared for, to care for you. You're not going to be prone to whoever comes by doing whatever they want to you. You're going to have provision. You're going to have protection. Now, the pledge that we have from God is provision and protection now. It is a guarantee. It is an amount so vast that we can live on it now. Imagine someone coming to you and saying, I'm, I'm giving you a deposit on that piece of, little piece of rock out in your yard. I think it's worth something. And they give you a deposit so vast and say, here, I'll come back for it later. You hold on to it. Here's the deposit. Do what you like with it, but hold that rock for me. That you could live on it for your lifetime. The, 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 the earnest of God is so vast. The benefits of God are so fast. I look to the future. I look to the future blessing. But I'm able to receive from that the blessings now that God has for me right now that are part of it. That are part of the promise. In Romans, he talks about the same thing. In Romans chapter 8, he talks about the inheritance. He talks about it by by means of adoption. He mentions it as as adoption. And so... uh, let me just look at it briefly here with us. And he says, for, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, so we cry, Abba, Father. And he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pain of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of his spirit. The first fruits is that pledge, is that, it's that sealing the first fruits of his spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. When I, when I look at this and we're eagerly awaiting the adoption, we're waiting for him to come. It's talking about resurrection. It's talking about, you know, our eternity with him. But I, I look at that and I, I look, if you could just picture right here, up here, an old black and white TV. Some of you can remember that. And we adjust the rabbit ears and we get the thing tuned in and we, the static all goes. And we're watching an old movie and it's a movie of an orphanage. 
And in the orphanage, you have all those metal beds lined up with all the little children. And they get word, children, get ready. Someone is coming here today, and they're going to be adopting one of you. One of you is going to get a real family to go home to. And you see them all lined up and and making themselves nice and fixing their hair. And the, the couple comes through. And what's your name? Oh, my name is Frankie. And and um, and I do my chores. I'll do all the chores you give me. I'll do every chore there is. And, and I'll be real good. I, I, I'm real good. I'm an obedient child. And and I don't eat much either. You know, I'll, you, you want to take me home. And, you know, we go right down the line. And finally, they pick one. And that picked one, like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, is so happy. It's so exuberant. I, I'm picked. I'm picked. I'm going home. I have a family. I have a real family. I'm going home to a real family. And so they go in the office and they sign all the paperwork. It's signed. It's sealed. And the only thing left is I'm going to come back. We've got to go and, and prepare the room and we've got to wait for this all to go through and final approval. But we're going to come back next Friday and we're going to take you home to be with us. Next Friday is the time the promise is fulfilled. But how happy is that child right now? It's signed. It's sealed. It's waiting on delivery. Our our future is secure. It's sealed. We're sealed in the Holy Spirit. We are marked with him. We are marked. He's put his brand upon us. We are marked. It's it's as good as done, but it's not done yet. We're waiting on that time. We're earnestly groaning. Our spirits are waiting. We're waiting to, to leave this world behind, to leave the pain behind, to leave all the stuff that we mess with down here. We're waiting to leave it behind. We, we know it's coming. We know that Friday is coming. The big car is coming with the family. My family, my family is coming back for me. They're not here right yet, but I know it's a done deal. The papers are signed. The papers are sealed. Next Friday, I'm out of here. I am so happy now. I am so happy. I'm not holding my happy until next Friday. I'm happy now. The benefits of our salvation are in the future. Tamar was looking for an inheritance. Tamar was looking down the line at Matthew chapter 1. Tamar was looking and Judah uh, begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar. Never mind Shema. You want to hold back Shema? Hold back Shema. God has something for me. I am going to get it. My faith will not be denied. She's looking at heritage. She's looking ahead. But she's looking also with the short term benefits of that. I will not be childless anymore. I will not be just dependent on whoever somebody. Go back to your father's house and wait until he's old enough. No, no, no. I will not be denied. There's a benefit now. There's resurrection someday. And you know what? My body is going to be made new. A brand new body. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. All that's going to be wonderful and good. But right now, I have healing. Right now, I have joy in the Holy Spirit. Right now, I have peace in my life. Right now, I have an optimism that God is mine, that he is, he's, he's done a work in me. He's coming back Friday. But right now, right now, the papers are signed. The papers are sealed. Hallelujah. It is a done deal. It is a done deal. There's benefits now to the promise of later. That's what Tamar rested on.
That's the faith that we have. That's the faith that he talked about, this adoption. He says our spirits groan within us as we wait for the day. Do you ever groan? Do you ever groan? How long, Lord Jesus? How long, Lord Jesus? It's coming a day. In Revelation, he talks about a place. The souls under the altar crying, how long, how long, how long? And to them were given white robes and told, just wait a little longer. Just a little longer. Just a little longer. God has promised to us his seal, his guarantee, his pledge, his earnest is a guarantee of what happens tomorrow. But it's also an empowering, a mocking, a, a benefit of what happens today. We're his children. We're adopted. We're his. We're his. Oh, Tamar, she had to have mixed feelings when she was dragged before a man who would just as easily have had her burned as anything else. Get rid of this problem. What must she have felt? But when she pulled out that seal and said, this is the man. This is the father. And he looked at it and his eyes popped open. I, I, I. This changes everything. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And this changes everything. No more judgment. No more burning me up. This changes everything. Stand with me.